Well, we've been sharing some things on Sunday as of late, leading up to our vision night. Um, and we've been in Luke 15. You can turn there if you, if you have a Bible with you, in Luke 15. And we've been talking about the importance of understanding the great commission of God. His commission was to make disciples of all nations, to go and disciple people, to, de- to develop their lives after Him so that they would, know, they would know and understand Him, that humanity would. And I've, I've made this, this point in the last few weeks, and I'm going to continue to make it, that God commissioned us to make disciples. But in, in Matthew 16, He said, I will build my church. And I really believe that there is a revelation in Scripture of this. That God is building His church. We're, we're not here to build His church. We're here to make disciples. And God will build His church with discipled people. He won't, he won't build His church with people that don't understand Him. You can sit in a building all your life and not be discipled by Him. So if you're not discipled, in His Word, if you've not been disciplined in His Word, then you don't, you don't understand Him, and He can't build His church with you. We can build gatherings of people, and we can build buildings like this, and we thank God for it, but this building is here to fill up with people that are discipled, to fill it up with people that have never been discipled and have no understanding so that they can be discipled. So that God can build His church. Because the church is not built. The church isn't built on programs. The church is built on revelation. He said, on this rock will I build my church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. That's what we're here for. That's the purpose and plan of God. And in, in Luke 15, in the first verse, Jesus was talking to some Pharisees and scribes here. And it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. The Pharisees and scribes, they drew near to him to complain. Hmm? And they said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness? He leaves the ninety-nine in the wilderness. And go after the one which is lost until he finds it. He goes after it until he finds the one. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say to you likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just people who don't need repentance. Why? Because Jesus came for a reason. He came to the earth for a reason. He came for those who weren't well. He came for the sick, not for the righteous. Right? Because once you and I become righteous and and we become one of the 99, then our job is to go find the one. 
And notice, he went after the one until he found it. Well, pastor, I tried, but it didn't work. No, no. That wasn't his attitude. And a lot of times, we, we want to stay in little groups, and we want to stay in our little comfort zones, in our 99, and we don't want to break out and begin to do things to see the one come in. And the place and the purpose for the house is so that when people come to the house, they can be trained and they can be built up, they can be discipled. And there's a lot of different ways to disciple. And in our vision night, we're going to talk about implementation of discipleship in the future where this body is concerned. We spent all last year developing the strength of certain ministries in our church that we needed to have since we got in this building and we needed in place so that we could handle the influx of people. Now, now our focus in the house is to continue to build, but then outside of the house is to find the one. Everybody sitting in here has one. I've been working on a guy, one guy, several people, but one of, one of the guys I've been working on, uh, I've been working on for a year. And, and I, I, I mean, all, most of my born-again life was spent, or at least the first 10 years of my born-again life was spent finding people, going after the one and the two and the however many, and seeing people come in and seeing people born again. My focus was there. And in the last few years, my focus got a little bit off of it, but, but over the last couple of years, it's been re-strengthened with how important it is that your life be shining in someone else's life. And a guy I've been working on for over a year, last week I hooked him. Got the hook in there. <clears throat> Pulled him in. And it took a lot of time and effort, you know, because most people you can't preach to. Most people you can't, you know, read them the Christian right act. Give them a 101 different scriptures of things that they need to do in their life. Most people you can't give that to because most people will run from that because most of the time what they're hearing is something that they've got to do and they don't think they can do it. And, and most people run from God because they're afraid of Him. We've got to let people know and understand that God is a good God. Everybody say good. Amen? How, how often is God good? All the time. He's good all the time. I mean, God is always good. And we, we've got to allow people to know how good that he really is. So Wednesday night, I started a, um, just a, a real short series and uh, was talking about God was just leading me through his scripture on the word promise. And the word promise in the Webster's is defined as one's word that something will be done. When there's, when there's a promise giving, it's a word that someone gives that what they say is going to be done will be done. A couple of the synonyms for, for promise is the word assurance, but this one I really like, it's the word guarantee. All throughout the scripture, the Bible is full of these guarantees. When God guarantees something, then He stands behind it. 
And when he can swear by nothing greater, he swore by himself that if I say it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Because if it didn't happen, then he'd be destroyed. But the Bible says there's no way it can't happen because he can't lie. You, you ever met somebody that was a liar? I met myself when I was young. And there are people, there are, there are people that are more honest than, than other people. You can find someone that you, you think, you know what, you can trust what that person says. So that person has the capability of not telling the truth, but they choose to tell the truth. That's not God. No, it didn't say that he could lie, but he chooses not to. He can't. So everything in his word is a guarantee. If he said it, it's so. On Wednesday night, just by the Spirit of the Lord, as we, as, as we were going through it, we were, talking about, uh, we were talking about the tithe and the guarantee of the tithe and how important that is. We were talking about health and healing in our bodies. And so had a bunch of people come up front here and we laid hands on them and just declared that in the name of Jesus... His guarantee where health and healing is concerned was released in their bodies. And, and I believe that everybody that I touched was healed because it's a guarantee. And, and we talked about it. We, le- we said some things that led up to laying hands on each of those people. And I'm convinced all week long I was reminded and convinced of the fact that the people we touched were healed. Not just out of sight, out of mind, but just rejoicing. And those who stood in proxy for others who had been, had difficulties in their bodies, we believe we, there were manifestation. One of, our, one of our family members that we've been standing with, my, my mother-in-law stood up for that family member on Wednesday night, and then we got this report that all this good stuff manifested in his body. You know? I mean, I mean there, there are... There are guarantees in the word that you and I have to receive. Well, the, the reason I'm making this point is that God, through Jesus Christ, before he left, he told his disciples, he said, I'm releasing you to go in the world and make disciples and immerse them in the revelation of Father and Son and the Holy Ghost. Immerse them in the revelation of who I am. And you and I have to know who we are. And we have to be people that are founded on the promises. But we've got to understand, first and foremost, about the promise. Say, the promise. We've got to understand, first and foremost, about the promise. And I want you to look at Galatians 4. And just follow with me, because I'm just going to kind of talk through this. These things are important leading up to our vision night, where we're going to just talk about implementation of the vision. But but these things have to first be in our hearts. And we've got to be stirred to the understanding of what real discipleship is about. And in Galatians 4 and verse 21, And it says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, 
the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was the bond but he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, but he of the free woman through what? Everybody say promise. Something that was promised. Which things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, but this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Now, the Bible says in, first, in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20 that the promises of God are yes and amen. The promises of God are yes and amen. The promises of God come through promises the promises can you hear me the promises of god come through the child of promise the promises of god come through the mother that was promised through the father that was promised the promises of god come through the promise The promises of God come through the promise. The promise of healing comes through the promise that God made with Abraham and with Sarah as a result of them having Isaac. So, I want you to turn to Genesis 12 and just follow with me. I'm not going to read a lot, I'm just going to talk a lot. But I'm going to show you where I'm talking from. And... I want you to, I want to start with Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. And just follow with me on this. <clears throat> now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. How many families? All of them. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. Because of Abram, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And it says... In verse 10, now there was a famine in the land of Abram, in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, now, as you, as you figure this, Abram is about 75 years old at this point, his wife about around nine or 10 years younger than him. 
So he's 75 and she's 65. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah's wife, I indeed know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is my wife and they will kill me. But they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live, be, that I may live because of you. Here's Abram at 75 years old, and what manifests here in this story is, number one, he's in fear. Number two, he's more in fear for himself than he is for his wife or anybody else. And number three... Not only is he a liar, but he's getting his wife to lie. Right? Here he is at 75, and God, God made a covenant with him. Or, or, or the covenant hadn't been ratified yet, but God made a promise to him that he would take him, if, if Abraham would do what he said, and he would bless him, and then all the families of the earth would be blessed as a result of him. But this is when Abram was 75 years old. Then, when you turn over from chapter 12 to chapter 16, well, in in 15 is where God makes a covenant with him. God's covenant with Abraham is is in chapter 15. And he told him all the things that he would do with him and for him. In verse 18 in chapter 15, chapter 15 and verse 18, and on the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants I have given this land from the river, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And so here he makes this covenant with him. So from the time that he's 75, There's about a 10-year span to chapter 16. He goes from 75 now to 85. So the promise that God had made with Abram in, in chapter 12 at 75 years old, and the covenant then that was established with him, all these things were preparation for the future. And so now, in chapter 16 it says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps we shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of his wife, and, Sarah, Abram, and then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, and Abram to be with his wife after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So here, at 85 years old, Abram goes in and, he, and Sarah's maid is impregnated, 
with a child that is not the child of promise. And so at 86 years old, this child is born. And here, because they tried to help God out, and they tried to figure out how this thing was going to happen, instead of going to God, they tried to figure it out themselves because God wouldn't have given them the wisdom to do what they did. And so now, now, in chapter 17, when Abram was now 99 years old, so Ishmael, his son from Hagar, was born at 86, and now about 13 years has gone by. So the first child's about 13 years old, and now Abram is 99 years old. And when Abram was 99 years old, chapter 17 and verse 1, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and your generations for an everlasting covenant to God, to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give you and your descendants after you the land which I had promised. And, and on and on. And he made this covenant with him. After 13 years of actual silence that we see in Scripture right here, of nothing else happened, nothing else was going on, 13-year period of time, and the covenant that he had connected with Abraham was now beginning to kick in. And at 99 years old, and his wife, 90, she became impregnated with child, and this was the child of promise. Now, I went through that story, not in full detail, but I went through that story because I want to show you something in Romans 4. Because in, in Romans 4 is the account of Abram from 99 on. So, this is my take on it. My take is that from 86 to 99 was a 13-year period of being discipled. There was some discipling going on. There were some things that had to be worked out. The lying spirit he had to have removed from him. The spirit of fear and pride. Tied with that had to be arrogance. To get his own wife to lie for him because of his fear, there are things in his life that had to be dealt with. And we don't have 
We don't have record of that discipleship process, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if it's got to be worked out of us, it had to be worked out of Him. If He was the beginning of this thing that you and I are connecting to where promise is concerned, then He had to have it worked out of Him. Otherwise, when God told Him He was going to make Him the Father of nations and that all families of the earth would be blessed as a result of Him at 75, Otherwise, God would have just made him that whether he was in pride or not. The purpose of the house, the purpose of the church, is to make disciples so that people are extracted of their ways and become connected with his. I'll say it again. The purpose of the church is to extract pride and arrogance and fear and issues of people's lives, things that that need to be dealt with. The church is here to help people be set free of that. The reason that you and I need one all the time, you need somebody that your life is coming in contact with, you need the time to share with people and allow your light to shine, is because, is because when all you do is come, when all you do is just come and hear the Word, what happens is when you're not doing the Word and there's not an outlet for the Word, you become stagnant. I made this comment the other day as I was sharing on this. I've never, to this day, ever met someone that had an opportunity to share their experience of their life with someone else, no matter how little or how large that was. I've never found anybody that was in the midst of sharing something that was depressed about it. Well, you know, I was talking to somebody today, and they got healed, delivered, set free. 19 demons got cast out of them. Oh, well. I mean, no, man. I mean, people, they'll grin from ear to ear. Let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you about how this person got set free. Let me tell you about this thing. And you know what? In the midst of that, as you're sharing with other people, you're hearing yourself tell them things that you're not totally delivered of. Look at your neighbor and say, I know he's talking to you. I know he is. And that's where you get free. See, because, because if I'm sharing something with Chad and I'm not free of it, and I keep sharing that with Chad, i got to get free of that myself totally. See, because God doesn't wait till you're free of everything for you to be able to find the one and be ministering to somebody. The world needs you where you're at. The enemy will tell you, well, you know, you can't tell somebody that. Man, l- remember what you did yesterday. Remember what that thing? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I, I agree with you. That's what I did. But God's delivered me of that. And, and t- today I declare that old things are passed away and everything is brand new and I'm overcoming this thing and I'm not going to stay where I'm at and I'm going to share the word with people and I'm going to minister to people no matter what, no matter what I feel like or it looks like with me. And that's the way we have to be. That's how this building here needs to be full of people. But it needs to be full of people that you went out and got and you brought them back. You say, well, if they were never here, how could you bring them back? No, I'm talking about bringing them back into the fold. Everybody was created in the image of God and everybody's purpose and plan is in God. You need to bring them in.
And there's more rejoicing in heaven when one man comes to repentance than when 99 with 99 that don't need it. See, it doesn't mean that God doesn't care about the 99. He just doesn't want the 99 to become so about themselves and so stagnant within themselves that, th that they're not here for his purpose. He can't build his church on undiscipled people. And our job is to what? Make disciples. And you do it one person at a time, one day at a time, one situation at a time. You help people. How many can just, you know for a fact that people need help? I know they do. You see them everywhere. People need help. So, Holy Ghost, the helpers on the inside of you, to do what? To help people. See, it's not about just helping ourselves. It's about helping people. And I tell you, the more you help people, the more people will be helped, and you'll be helped. And God will meet every need in your life because actually He's already met every need. Everything has already been met in Him. And that's where we need to be focused on what's important to him. And his, his whole focus in the earth is on the church. Building the church. Amen? So, in Romans 4 and verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through what? The law through Ishmael, but through the righteousness of what? Faith for Isaac. See, they tried to do the other thing, and they got Ishmael. And so the promise to you and I is now through the walk of faith. And look, what, look at the testimony we, we, I gave you a few of the, of the mistakes that Abraham made, not to focus on his mistakes, just to tell you that your mistakes don't disqualify you. If you embrace what the blood of Jesus has accomplished, your mistakes don't disqualify you from being used in his kingdom to build his, his church through discipled people. See, he's building the church, but we're putting it together through the people that we disciple then God is saying, man, I'm glad you did that because I can use that person now because they're beginning to see what it takes to do this thing and that thing. Because God's about people and He's about multiplication. But in verse 18 it says of Romans 4, and this is Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became... See, God already said he was, but he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise. See, because what he... What he what he found out over those 25 years is that for the promise to work, Sarah had to have a child. Now see, it seems like to me it would have been easier for him to believe for her to have a child when he was 75 and she was 65 than when he was 99 and she was 90. Hmm? 
But at 99 and 90, this is what it says about him. At 99 and 90, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Go back to verse 13. What did it say? For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but what? Through the righteousness of faith. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He believed what? The promise of God. So see, all the promises now, because we're the descendants of Abraham, all the promises of God, all the promises of God come through the promise. Watch back to Galatians and the third chapter this time and the 12th verse. Galatians 3 and 12. Yet the law, Ishmael, just in, in, in accordance with what we're talking about here, is not of faith. See, it was easy to do that. Well, you know what? It's not working, so go sleep with my maid. See, I mean, the spirit of adultery is all over him, you know? See, if it hadn't have been, he'd have told her, no, that's not pleasing to God. Oh, okay. We won't go there. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ redeemed you and I from the curse of thinking that we can do it on our own. The curse of thinking that we're going to rely on the arm of the flesh instead of trust God. He redeemed us from that. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Watch that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Jesus Christ that we might receive what? Not the promises, the promise of the Spirit through faith. And the promise, listen to me today, of the Spirit of God through faith, what we receive of the promise of His Spirit enables us now to know how to spiritually grow up, but to know how to disciple people. Did you hear what I said? The promise of the Spirit was for you and I to grow up, but then to teach us how to make disciples. Everybody say the Great Commission. Okay? What does that mean? I mean... I believe that word great there in his commission is the most important. His most important commission to you and I was to go and make people, make disciples of people. So for, for you to disciple somebody is to 
change their thinking. All over the world, people are brainwashing people to think all kinds of things. There's Al-Qaeda terrorist group that brainwash little kids from a real young age. And they brainwash them to think that Americans are the enemy. I mean, I've, you know, I've watched documentaries on it and seen what they do with them. And they fill their head all the time with the American flag and with whoever the president is and then anybody that looks like they're an American. And, and, and continue, continually tells those people that the Americans are the enemy. Well, I'm not their enemy, but they think I am. Why? Because they've been trained. They've been brainwashed. They've been discipled. Yes? His great commission was, you know what? Go and disciple and renew and change the thinking of people that have been taught all kinds of other things that aren't true. Because who I am is truth. And what I've done is truth. And now the promise to the tither is that the windows of heaven are opened over him and blessing is poured out. There's not room enough to receive and the devourer is rebuked on your behalf. That's the promise to the tither that comes through the promise of His Spirit. And that promise came through the faith of Abraham. So we've got to train and teach people how to walk by faith and not by what they see. The promise of divine healing and health. When Jesus came into different towns and cities, it says that He healed those who were sick so that, so that the promises would be fulfilled. There's a promise that by His stripes, we are healed. Sickness and disease has no authority over our bodies. We can resist sickness and disease and it has to flee because, because we're children of promise. Abraham believed God. He worked through all of his issues. 25 years it took him to work through the issues of his life. See, because God didn't look on the outward. Because I'm sure Abraham told him he was ready the first year. I'm ready, God. God don't look on the outside, he looks at the heart and he knows when you're ready or you're not. Right? And the fact that by his stripes we're healed, we can receive today because we're children of promise. We're not of the, we're not of the bond lady of the flesh we're of the free woman. Say it, I'm free. That Galatians 4 called the lady the free woman. Why? Because not only did Abraham believe, but his wife Sarah believed. And listen, I believe Abraham came to the place where he believed so much that he told his wife and talked his wife into believing that it was right. We're going to get pregnant. Now, what she influenced him in 25 years earlier to commit adultery with, his, with her maidservant and he didn't stop it because there were some things that weren't worked out of him. Now they got worked out of him and now it says, notice, it didn't say that Sarah believed, it said Abraham believed. Abraham had faith and he believed that what God had promised, he was able to perform. You know what? It takes a while. It takes some time for people. It takes some time for all of us to get this stuff. It doesn't make sense. I mean, you know, you, you, can, you can read translations of the Bible that are, are more 
in, in more common English today than, than other translations. But it's still, the, the writings of the Bible still don't make sense to the natural mind. So the moment that you get born again, everything doesn't just go from appearing to be like Chinese, you know, to just all of it explaining itself because this word isn't explained in the natural, in the flesh. It's explained through the revelation of the Spirit. And the Spirit of God, the promise of the Spirit that was given to us is so we can know these things to transfer that revelation into the lives of other people. The guy I hooked the other day that I've been working on for a year, man, that guy, he needs what I have. He needs it. I mean, he needs it bad. And you know what? If I don't have it to give, then what, what real benefit is it for him, I mean, I, I, it's a good thing to come into the kingdom. It's a good thing for people to be born again. But what real benefit if people just stay babies and they don't get rid of the pride and the arrogance and the lying and the cheating and, and, and the perversion and all the things of their life and all those things, you know, those things don't make you bad because God didn't create bad. He created you good. You know, what, you, know, you know why we do those things? Because of lack of understanding. Because of a lack of people really believing that they were put on this earth to help someone else out. And that was the great commission. That was the ultimate commission from God. And how much time have we spent walking in that great commission? It's a good thing to hear the word. It's a good thing to come into the house. And we're filling the house up because the more people come in the house, the more potential for them to be free through the word of God but then we got to duplicate it and continue to work it out of the house and into the lives of people so that they can be free the promises that belong to you and I right here from from God's word these promises are here for the good of others I mean he intended them for us yeah but actually they were intended to come to you and through you to the lives of other people. Can you say amen to that? Now, I'm just going to, I got one more verse and I'm going to end with this. Because I, I really, I read this the other night, but I'm, I wasn't going to read this today, but I'm going to read it again. And it's in Ephesians 6 in verse 1. <clears throat> Ephesians 6 and verse 1. <clears throat> Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Why? Because it's right. You notice it didn't say anything about them being perfectly right. It said obey your parents because it's right. Watch. Honor your father and mother. You might say, well, you know, hey, I'm, I'm 25. I don't, have to, I don't have to obey my parents today. No, but you have to honor them. You have to honor your parents even after they're gone. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with, say it, promise. That it will be well with you and that you'll live long on the earth. That it'll be well with you, and that you'll live long on the earth. Listen to me. 
I'm going to say this again. And you know, I, I just, I don't, I don't usually, I'm not preaching, I'm just talking. Because these things are just, this stuff is so big inside of me. All this last year, this thing is about discipling people has become so huge in me. And, and the reason it's huge in me is because it's big in God, because it's the great thing. It's great. It's greater than anything else. And as I was reading that verse right there, every time I read that, what do you think comes to my mind? Every time I start reading that, what comes to my mind is the dishonoring things I've done to my parents. That's what comes to my mind. How about you? Huh? The dishonoring thoughts about where you didn't honor and obey your parents. And as I started thinking about it, that word right is the key. Because the word right means righteous and righteousness. And it said Abraham believed God, he trusted God, he relied totally on God, and if God said that's what he was supposed to do, then he did it and he became, finally became convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform it. He didn't grow, he didn't grow weak in unbelief, doubting whether that was true or not. He grew strong in faith. He grew strong, he grew strong, he grew strong, he grew stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And if God said something like this, honor your father and mother, it's the first commandment with a promise that it'll all be well with you. And the way you honor is with your words and with your attitude. That's how you honor. No matter what they've ever done, listen, everybody in here can say, yeah, but you don't know what my parents did. No, I don't, but God does. And I'm not, God's not condoning. If, if you had a parent that did something horrible to you, left you, forsook you, or any other thing, God doesn't condone that. They did that not because they didn't love you. They did that because of the lack of understanding. But I'm telling you, God's Word says, if you will learn to get rid of that stuff, and you get rid of that unforgiveness, and you get rid of the bitterness, and you get rid of the stuff that's, that screams at you and tells you that I have every right to be the way I am because of what they did, you get rid of that, and you honor your your parents. It doesn't mean that somebody's done you wrong and you have to go back and make everything right. I didn't say that. Did you hear what I said? I didn't say that. But you start voicing it with your mouth. You start declaring out of your mouth things that God gives you about your parents and honor them and have a right attitude on your behalf no matter what they do. And you know what? There is a promise with it. You live long on the earth and things will go well for you. And that's what we have to teach other people are things like that. It doesn't make natural sense. If somebody's done you wrong, bless God, they're going to pay. That's the Texas way. Well, that's been the Texas way. We're changing the Texas way. Can you say amen? amen. 